to you from actually the book of Galatians, uh, a little, about a couple of moms, a tale of two moms. Now, if you've been tracking with us in this series and uh, maybe you've come on, on on Wednesday nights, perhaps you've identified these two moms that we're going to talk about that are actually listed in the book of Galatians. Any guesses? Wow, who said that? Okay, you're right on tap. Yeah, you got Sarah and Hagar. Say, wow, what a name for a woman that is, Sarah and Hagar. Well, I want to tell you a story about these two moms, but it's a really old story, okay? And it takes place in a very different time and a very different place. These two ladies are mentioned in the book of Galatians as an example of something, and we'll get to that as we look at the story. Uh, But they're two very significant moms in the Bible. You have Hagar, strange name. She is an Egyptian, and she ends up being a servant of Abraham and his wife, Sarah. We'll meet them in a moment. And then you have Sarah, or Sarai, as she is originally called, and she is the wife of Abram. It's very hard to find anything good that depicts these two ladies in terms of images and photos. You can scour through books and the internet, and people depict these two ladies in all kinds of strange ways. This is the best picture I could find. So you have Hagar there doing Sarai's hair, which may well have happened, okay? This is a 4,000-year-old story. This is Old Testament with a, with a capital O, all right? So you say, why would you tell a story that's 4,000 years old? It's going to blow your mind to see how relevant this story is for today. So it's a 4,000-year-old culture. This is not North American, you know, 21st century. In the modern day, the places where all this all took place, uh, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Israel, the West Bank as it's called, Jordan, Egypt, it's all around there. And these go by different names in Bible times, but these are the places where this all happened in today's language. So you got to go back in time But you're going to see that these two ladies behave in ways that are really shocking and in some ways so human. And there are many lessons that we can learn uh, from them. A tale of two moms. So you've got to remember you're in a different time and in a different place. Because some of what you're going to learn about these ladies and what they went through is shocking. So you've got to just fasten your seatbelts. And, and hold on as you navigate through this. Now, to, to, uh, to do this on your own, you've got to read like 12 chapters out of the book of Genesis. From Genesis 12, which is where we first see the call of Abram. Uh, by the way, I have a brother named Abram and I have a daughter named Sarah. Okay? So these names I know very, very well. I actually have a, two, uh, three other brothers named Nathan, Noah, and Abram. So those are my three brothers, and I'm named Joseph. So you can tell these are all Bible names, all right? Nice Jewish home. So we named our daughter Sarah, not Sarai, but we named her Sarah. So you you have to read from Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis chapter 23, 
And so it's a lot of reading. You say, wow, we're going to do this all in one morning? Well, I'm going to make it really, really simple for you. But if you want to get the full dose of it, sit down with a cup of coffee and read those 12 chapters. And by the end of it, you're probably going to want another cup of coffee because you're going to look at you're going to say, I can't believe what these ladies went through. I can't believe their stories. So it starts in Genesis chapter 12 when God calls Abram. Uh, and his name means exalted father. He is 75 years old at the time that God calls him from where he's living in what would be present-day Iraq or Ur of the Chaldees, as it was called back then in some translations anyway. And God calls Abram to leave his country and to go to the place where he has prepared for him. It will be the land of Canaan. And he says he's going to make him into a great nation. It's a famous, famous promise in Genesis chapter 12. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I'm going to turn you into a nation. It's quite a promise. And so... Abram leaves, uh, and he goes to the place where God tells him to go. He takes, amongst other people, his wife, whose name is Sarai, which meant at that time, my princess. If you do the math in the story, you get to see the age difference between these two. Uh, he is 75, she is 65, because she's 10 years younger than him. And as you read, you'll discover that. Now, just a word about these ages. Uh, Abraham will die at the age of, do you, any of you Bible scholars know? Higher. Uh, uh, uh. Who said that? 175. Yeah, Abraham dies at 175 years. It's pretty, pretty good. And Sarai, or Sarah, when she, when she dies, guess how old she is when she dies? Very close. Someone said 123, 165, too high, 127. So you say, what's with these ages? Now, there's different theories about this, just as, a, as an aside. There seems to be an interesting thing going on in the book of Genesis where right from the fall in Genesis chapter 3 and onwards, you see these ridiculously high ages of people. Methuselah 969, and you see the age decrease. It's a really succinct pattern that you can actually follow. And some people theorize that the closer you get to Genesis 3, the older people are. And as sin keeps working through time and through generation and through generation, people start living, uh, you know, lesser and lesser, uh, their length of life goes down to what it is today. Some people say that. Other people say, well, you know, the, the, they got it wrong and they didn't know how to count or, you know, there's different views on this. But uh, for our purposes today, just watch the reactions of the people around Abraham and Sarah and you can kind of ascertain how old they would have looked. Because 75 and 65 is not really the same as 75 and 65 the way that we look. Are you following me? Whichever kind of theory you go by. Uh, one of our musicians, uh, Caleb, who's in the room today, is a doctor and specializes in geriatrics. 
So he's probably fascinated by this story as he looks at the ages uh, going on here in the book of Genesis. But just remember, she's 10 years younger than him. They're called, and then the story starts marching forward. And they end up, after they get to Canaan, uh, they will take a journey to Egypt. And they will do this uh, because there is a famine in Canaan. So in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, they head to Egypt, and when they get into Egypt, they prepare themselves. This is one of the more shocking things of the story. They agree to lie about who Sarai is, and they do this essentially so that Abram can save his own neck. Because they, they, they know that Sarai is very beautiful. And their view is that when we get into Egypt, the leadership there is going to want to take Sarai and bring her into the palace of Pharaoh to be one of his many wives or women. You say, wow, is that ever harsh? Indeed it is. And so they come up with the scheme and they say, say that you are my sister. Because if you say that you are my wife... They're probably going to kill me so that you become available for Pharaoh. But if you say that you are my sister, they won't kill me, and they're obviously not going to kill you either, and you will be available for Pharaoh. So we will both live, and you need to do this. The both of them agreed to do this, and Sarai lies about her identity she ends up in Pharaoh's household, essentially in the arms of another man. And you say, wow, this is really, really harsh. That's right. It's a 4,000-year-old culture. And uh, she's very beautiful. They take her in, and they give uh, Abram all of these things, you know, sheep and cattle and, uh, and people. Uh, uh, manservants and maidservants, we're told. One of them will be Hagar and plenty of livestock. But then problems happen to Pharaoh. He starts getting sick. There's disease in him. There's disease in his household. And Pharaoh, the ungodly leader of Egypt, interprets this as some sort of judgment from God. And he discovers that the woman who he took as his wife is someone else's wife. And he says, now hold the phone here. You told me she was your sister. Get out, go, leave, take her, and go. I don't want any part of this. You lied to me about the identity of who this woman is. I thought she was available, and she's not. She is your wife. Go, and he says, get out. And so they, they leave, they end up leaving Egypt. This is the first major wow in Sarai's life. You fast forward a couple of chapters and you get to Genesis chapter 15. And you see that God once again reminds Abram that he is going to have innumerable children. And he, he gives him this covenant and this vision and, and he, says, uh, he says to him, reminds him of his blessing. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And Abram says, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And God says, you're going, uh, uh, you're, I'm going to do something in your life. Look up at the heavens 
and, and count the stars if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 6. You move forward and you see at the age of 75 in Genesis chapter 16, Sarai it, who is unable to conceive. She's, she's barren. She's sterile. Uh, now, Mother's Day, just as an aside, is you know, often a celebration, an acknowledgement of moms. But wow, does it ever hurt the ladies who can't conceive? When there are, when there, especially in churches where there's so much positive, you know, kind of energy and all of that, and then you have you have people who desperately want to have children and they can't, and it can really hurt. Let me tell you, Sarai was there, and she's 75 years old. She she cannot conceive, and she actually understands this uh, to be, you know, that this is the way that it is. This is uh, this is. This is God that has done this. Uh, chapter 16, verse 1, uh, she has this Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. They acquired her in Egypt. And so she says to Abram, she comes up with this, and she says to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my maidservant, Perhaps I can build a family through her. You say, wow, is that ever harsh? Is that, <laughs> I mean, that is something else. That's, that's what it was. That was the time. That was the place. That was the culture. It was a disgrace for a woman to not be able to bear children. It was a disgrace to her. And here's Abram being promised He's going to have more children than the stars in the sky and this, the sand on the seashore. And so Sarai, at 75, however old that would have looked in that time, says, well, there's a way that this can get done. And so she hands Hagar over to her husband, who is 85. This would be an instance of polygamy. You say, my goodness, I mean, this, is it Mother's Day? You sure you're reading this story? Well, I mean, in terms of what this means, you're going to see the disaster that this causes in the home. But I know some of you are thinking, you know, what's with this polygamy in the Old Testament? How come, how come God allows this? Be very careful, folks. God never approves of this kind of thing. He never amends it. He never says, oh, it's a really good thing that, you know, you see all these men in the Old Testament and their multiple wives. I mean, the worst instance is Solomon, you know, the wisest man who ever lived on the one hand. Boy, he learned wisdom through stupidity, just to put it bluntly. I mean, the bad choices that this man made with the hundreds and hundreds of women and wives in his life caused the civil war in his nation. Because of his foolish choices. Maybe he learned wisdom through his foolishness. But God never, never supports this or approves of it. Um, one would think that from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, you know, and one man and one woman and the first marriage, that people would get the point and they'd realize, well, you know, it's one man and one woman in a monogamous relationship and that's how it works. <laughs> but apparently that wasn't enough. And you see a lot of these men with these polygamous relationships. It doesn't mean that God approves of it. Here you have Sarai. She says there's a way that this can get done. 
And so this is agreed to. And then in verses 4 to 10, Hagar will, uh, will conceive and she will become pregnant. And then immediately the trouble starts. She began to despise Sarai. I'm the one who got pregnant and you can't. And she begins to hate her. She begins to despise her. She begins, there's, a, there's jealousy that develops between these women. There's hatred. There's envy. All of those things in Galatians chapter 5, the acts of the sinful nature. You see some of them in, in this conflict that's going to develop in this household uh, because of this decision that was made. She despises Sarai, and then she, Sarai says to her husband, Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows that she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Wow, talk about Abram stuck between a rock and a hard place. He's got his two wives in this conflict. What a mess. I mean, can you imagine? And so uh, he says, your servant is in your hands. Abram says, you do with her whatever you think best. Hmm. And then it says, Sarai mistreated Hagar. And so she fled from her. What did she do to Hagar? We don't know. But she mistreated her, we're told. And she runs away, runs out of the household and uh, ends up being visited by God, verses 13 to 16. And God tells her that you are going to be blessed and I'm going to increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count Hagar. And there's a promise made to Hagar that she is going to have a son. And that son will be called Ishmael, which means God hears. And she gave this name uh, to, to God, Hagar does. You are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. And the place where, the, where this encounter took place is called Be'ir Lahai Ro'i, which means uh, the, the God who hears and it's still there, we're told, in Genesis and the location and so on. So Hagar uh, uh, gives birth to a son. This would be Ishmael's firstborn. And Abram gives him the name Ishmael. And Abram, we're told, is 86 at the time, which would make Sarai 76. You're following so far? Quite the story. You jump forward to Genesis chapter 17, and you see this is 13 years later, and God, so Ishmael would be 13, God confirms his covenant with, now he changes his name, calls him Abraham, which means the father of many, and promises Sarah, changes her name as well, which means princess for all, promises Sarah children and confirms the, the Old Testament covenant of circumcision with uh, Abraham 
and he takes it very seriously and, you know, has that done for all of his household and so on. This is where it came from, from Genesis chapter 17. And you see there in the, in the dialogue between God and Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and I will surely give you a son by her. He's already got one from Hagar. But God's saying, uh-uh, I'm going to give you one by Sarah. I will bless her so she will be the mother of nations. Kings and peoples will come from her. And what's Abraham's reaction? He laughs his head off. It says that, almost. He fell face down and laughed. Close enough. And he said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? He's 99 at the time. So I'm going to be, if, if we have a child, me and, me and Sarah, uh, I'm going to be a hundred years old. Now granted, maybe it's a little, the ages are a little bit extended there. But still, he recognizes this is very, very old and she's going to give birth at uh, 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Like, why not him? We already have him. And God says, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him. And as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Now as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. And I will make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers. But I will establish with Isaac my covenant. This is how Paul uses the story in Galatians chapter 4. And he says the covenant that was given that ends up being the result of it. Of it turns into Jesus and the new covenant, that is not through Hagar, that is through Sarah. That is not through Ishmael, that is through Isaac. That's the, the promise is through them. It's not through Hagar. Even though she was blessed, even though Ishmael was blessed, the promise is through Isaac and through Sarah. This is the way Paul picks up on the story. And so, needless to say, Abraham is a little bit shocked, and, uh, and God says, uh, uh, next year, you're going to have a son. Sarah will bear you a son by this time next year. Amazing promise. Uh, you skip over to Genesis chapter 18, and you have God curiously appearing to Abraham and Sarah as three men. Uh, you do the math on that. But interesting, uh, you know, some people call this a theophany, an appearance of God in the Old Testament, perhaps even an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. But God appears as three visitors, three men. And Abraham and Sarah are quite hospitable to these men. And uh, one of them asks, where is your wife, Sarah? And Abraham says, well, they're in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent. 
which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already old and advanced in years. You know, he's talking about a 100-year-old guy and a 90-year-old, you know, his wife is 90. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So even by their math, she can't have children anymore. And she never could have children. And so Sarah, her reaction, like her husband, she laughs when she hears this. She laughs to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Like I'm standing right in front of you. I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. I think it's the only place in the Bible where God says that. Yes, you did laugh. Well, you, you march forward and you get to Genesis chapter 20 now. And you see, once again, in rather, I mean, it's, it's pretty staggering. But once again, Abraham and Sarah lie again about her identity, this time to uh, a leader by the name of Abimelech, the king of Gerar. And you read this in Genesis chapter 20. It's a virtual repetition of what they had done uh, when she was 65. Apparently, she's still turning heads at her age. <laughs> Again, when you, do the, you say, well, what, what about the math there? But apparently, she's still turning heads. The same thing happens. And this time, you see actually the first healing in the Old Testament. Because God uh, strikes this household uh, due to this offense that, the, that Abimelech didn't know about. God strikes this household, and at the end of the story, when the truth comes out, you see that Abraham prays to God on behalf of Abimelech and his wife and his household so that they could have children again, because it says that God had closed up every womb in his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Wow, did this lady endure a lot. She doesn't even have a son yet, and she's endured all of this. What a, what a raw story. The, what she went through, it's just staggering. Even what Hagar went through, it's, it's just staggering when you think about it, but that's the way that it was. You move to Genesis chapter 21, and finally, after all of these years, the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised, and Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time that God promised him. And Abraham gave him the name Isaac uh, to the son, and when Isaac was eight days old, of course, they circumcised him according to the covenant, and Abraham was a hundred years old. When his son Isaac was born and Sarah was 90. God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. They named him Isaac because Isaac means he laughs. It's a very, very popular name in Jewish households. Isaac. And that's where it comes from. 
And you see again, uh, as, as there's a party uh, for Isaac when he is weaned, who knows how long that would have taken, maybe a year, maybe two years, and he's finally, you know, eating solid foods, maybe less than a year. We don't know how long it would have taken, but in any case, uh, Sarah will once again expel Hagar, and Ishmael, who is a teenager now, probably 14, somewhere around there, as a result of Ishmael mocking this whole thing. So Isaac is born, Isaac is weaned, and so he's on solid food in that culture, big party. Abraham holds a great feast, and there you have Ishmael somewhere in the corner, and he's mocking this whole thing. And this gets Sarah very upset, and she says, get out. And she, she wants Hagar out, she wants Ishmael out, and she says, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son. Isaac, Whew. see the rivalry and the envy and the jealousy. And as we read through the story, we're tempted to take a side, you know, and we say, well, Sarah is right, uh, you know, no, Hagar is right. Look what Sarah did to Hagar. Look what Hagar did to Sarah. Look what Ishmael did to Isaac. Look, at, it's a mess. My, the things that these ladies went through. So uh, the matter distresses Abraham because it concerns his son. But God says to Abraham, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac. It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring, Abram, Abraham. But the, the, the promise is going to be through Isaac. The next morning, Abraham takes some food and a skin of water, gives them to Hagar, going to send uh, them on their way. Hagar and his firstborn son, Ishmael, send them out into the desert. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. They're going to die of... of uh, of starvation or, or having no water, etc. So it's, it turns very quickly into a desperate situation. She puts the boy down nearby. She, she goes a distance away and she says, I cannot watch my son die. And as she sits there, she begins to sob. Verse 17, God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And so she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lives in the desert. He becomes an archer. Uh, uh, he gets married, finds a woman from Egypt, and drops off the pages of the Scripture. And then we see in chapter 23 and verse 1, the death of this great woman, Sarah. And these are the sort of 12-ish chapters skimmed uh, for you. You can all go home. Well, there's some, there's some pretty obvious things that, to me, jump off the page here that apply to us 4,000 years later. Both of these moms, 
both from different backgrounds, both of them went through, wow, extreme trials. The things that they went through. I mean, with this thing with, with Sarah and, you know, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll pretend that, that you're my brother. And the, uh, you just look at it and you say, my goodness. And the, the despair that this woman would have felt not being able to have children year after year after year. And then it turns into hope and then it turns into envy and then it I mean just it's got so much drama in it. and then you look at Hagar who is essentially a servant I mean treated like uh, like material who's who's passed off to to Abraham and you look at this and you see her cast out of the household and you see the loneliness and the despair and you see her her son she thinks is going to die out there in the desert I mean it just it's got so much of a roller coaster of emotions in it both of these moms went through extreme trials it's mother's day remember the, the, it, not much has changed. Moms go through extreme trials today, don't they? Moms who are in the room today, you could probably raise your hand and you could probably testify and say, let me tell you a story of what I went through before becoming a mom and even after becoming a mom. We, we, we men have no idea. I mean, we, we try to become sophisticated and understand what women go through and what moms go through. But folks, most of the time, guys, we're clueless. We really don't understand it. Let me, let me tell you, you know, beyond taking, taking her out to eat and, you know, she doesn't have to do any work and it seems like the one day a year that moms get off seems like even on their day off they have to do something, though. They're probably doing something motherly on Mother's Day. Can't get around it. They never get a day off. Let me tell you beyond all of that, what, what the moms in your life want and what the women in your life want if they aren't even moms. And we often use this term when referring to men. But let me tell you, it's lost sometimes with moms and with women, and that's respect. Give your mother respect today. Give the significant woman in your life respect. Folks, we have no idea sometimes what they go through. There are a couple of, of, of moms in this church. I don't think they're here today, but the mom of one of those moms is here today. And uh, wow, we've had two stories in our church, two different moms, two different families. Again, one of the moms of the mom is here. And uh, during the whole COVID thing, both of these moms already had little kids, you know, one child each, small children in the house. Uh, uh, both of them became pregnant. Both of these moms lost uh, their, their babies, had miscarried. One of those moms uh, lost their baby one week before delivery, carried the baby to full term. After having difficulty you know, in the pregnancy and all of that and all kinds of things happening, took that baby to the final week and then lost that baby. We prayed for her publicly, so I'm not saying anything that's not public knowledge. And it was devastating loss for her. Another of those ladies miscarried, then became pregnant again, had a very, very difficult pregnancy, 
And just, just, thank God, just, I mean, it was very, very close. But just on Easter weekend, uh, she had to have an emergency delivery. Very, very fast response. Premature baby by a few weeks, emergency delivery. Both mom and baby are okay. It's their second child. Grandma is here in the room, I think. Innate, are you here? Yeah, she's there, grandma, for the third time now. But wow, moms go through a lot, folks, and that's just the biological stuff. To say nothing of the emotional whole thing of pre-motherhood and motherhood, folks, give them respect. Take them out for dinner, sure. Take them out for lunch, sure. That's all fine. That's all good. But I'll tell you what they're looking for, respect. It's not just something that applies to men. It applies to women as well. Both of the moms in this story, curiously enough, were both blessed by God. Both of them. We like to read the story and we take a side. And we, we say, well, you know, we, we play good cop, bad cop. You know, we say, we'll, we'll get on Sarai's side. Oh, no, 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 no. Now we feel emotional pull toward Hagar. And, you know, we, and we, we swerve back and forth. And we try to figure out who's right and who's wrong. Wow, God blesses both of them. Ishmael, the, the, the first of the Arabic nation. That's a lot of people. Isaac, the Jewish nation. That's a lot, a lot of people. And ultimately, and Paul will say this in Galatians, whenever anyone, whether Jew or Gentile or whatever, whenever anyone becomes a Christ follower, they become a daughter of Sarah. They become a son of Abraham in a spiritual sense. This is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise made by God in Genesis chapter 12, according to Paul. So both of these moms were blessed, and God, it's because God blesses motherhood. He wants to bless moms. You look at the images of God, even in the Old Testament, and we often think of God in a paternal sense. Jesus didn't pray, our mother who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. He said, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see a paternal sense, largely, when we describe God, especially in the Old Testament. But be careful. You also see the maternal characteristics of God in the Old Testament. You see God portrayed as a mother, actually using different images of animals in the Old Testament. And we prayed about this this morning. So you see God, the mama bear, the protector. And you see this image in the Old Testament. You see God, the mama eagle, who trains the eagle to fly and pushes the eagle out of the nest and catches the eagle when the eagle starts falling because it's flapping his little wings. And the mom eagle goes underneath is the wings of the eagle, of that mama eagle. You see the, 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 the wings of the bird covering and sheltering the child. These are all maternal characteristics of God that are described using this imagery because God blesses moms. Yes, He blesses dads too, but He blesses moms. And he wants to, he, he knows how difficult it is to do what you're doing. And both of these moms, even with these crazy, crazy circumstances, were incredibly blessed by God. 
And finally, both of these moms, not just Sarah and not just Hagar, both of them were seen by God. He had a personal dialogue and encounter with each of these women. Individually, he meets those moms where they are. He, he, he goes and appears to Sarah and says, Sarah, you're going to have a son. And Sarah laughs at God. And God says, yes, you did laugh. It's a personal dialogue where God personally gets into this woman's life and promises her, you are going to have a baby at your age. Go for And who appears to her in both, on both occasions, right before or when her baby is born, and then when her, when her son is 13, 14 years old. And there's God out there again telling her, I see you. I see your son. Don't worry. I'm going to bless your son. I'm going to make your son into a nation as well. And this comes to pass, you see. And that's because God sees you. Just like the little video that we played before. He sees you, mom. He sees you, mom-to-be. He sees you who want to be a mom. He sees you. You're not forgotten by him. You're not out there on your own, out in this sort of desert. Without him, he sees you. He wants to bless you. And he knows the trials that you go through. And this is the story of these two moms mentioned years and years later by Paul in the book of Galatians. You'll see him use them as an example. So with that, I'd like the band, if they'd come up and you gentlemen and ladies, go ahead and get ready to play. We don't have um, um, Jenny. She's over with the kids, but you can play whatever you like. And I'm sure everyone in the room will enjoy it. Uh, but before we leave today, I'd like to have a word of prayer with you. Whether you're a mom or not a mom, whether you're, you know, not even a woman, okay? Man, woman, child, whoever you are in this room, whoever you are watching online. Uh, let's pray together this Mother's Day 2022. Father, we do thank you today as we look into your word and we see, uh, Lord, this, this old, old story of these two ladies. And we see uh, so much humanity in them. We see so much imperfection in them, uh, in everybody who's mentioned, oh God, we just, we just look at it and say, wow, so human and so real and so raw. But we thank you, oh God, that um, uh, we see these lessons, just basic lessons from this story. And even beyond what we learn just in this 4,000-year-old story, Lord, we're reminded of the promise of salvation. Lord, that ultimately you have, uh, uh, it is your desire that every person, uh, whether they're young or old, male or female, whatever their circumstances in life, whatever their background, whatever their race, whatever their ethnicity, whatever they look like, Lord, it is your desire.